the words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The text, Matthew 7, 3, that says, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? So we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I want to take a personal moment first and uh, share with you, uh, just from my heart, um, what's been going on in our lives. Uh, As I mentioned, often in a sermon, I would talk about my friend uh, Leroy, uh, we've been childhood friends, friends all our lives, and the antics that we did when we were younger, he was usually involved. And I told you a, lot, a couple weeks ago that Leroy was very sick. Um, he uh, contracted a pulmonary disease, we think, when he was in Iraq, uh, training police officers there. And uh, the bottom line is that Leroy went to be with the Lord on Wednesday, Wednesday night at 11 p.m. And let me show you a picture uh, that's uh, the good buddies. That was a year ago at our, on our um, sabbatical. We took that picture. Um, uh, that's, by the way, two-thirds of the offensive line at Granite Hills High School and two-thirds of the defensive uh, line as well. And, uh, and uh, I know it doesn't look like it, but it, well, there was a time when we could play. And uh, Leroy was a, a great, great friend. When, <clears throat> when uh, I was in, junior, in elementary school, the sixth grade, we had a small elementary school where I lived in suburban uh, San Diego. And uh, I was kind of the king of the cheese in elementary school. You know, that's not saying much to be, you know, big cheese in sixth grade, but that was me. And uh, Leroy came halfway through the year, moved into the area, and uh, he um, <laughs> uh, came on campus. And, and when he did, you know, you could feel the tension. You know, these two alpha males, something was going to happen before the end of the day. Sure enough, after school, we went out behind the school. We got in a fight, and, and uh, he just kicked me all over the place. And uh, I made a leadership decision after that to become best friends with him. And one of the great decisions of my life. And uh, um, when we were in the seventh grade, um, uh, Leroy's family didn't go to church. And when uh, he started going to church with our family, and in seventh grade on a Sunday night service, um, uh, there was an altar call, and uh, Leroy was uh, trembling next to me. And I said, Leroy, do you want to go forward? Uh, and he said, I, I can't go alone. I said, well, you don't have to go alone. And uh, I took him by the hand, and we went up, and uh, Leroy just fell on the altar, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And um, he was an amazing Christ follower for the rest of his life. Um, Leroy served 25 years in the Oregon State Marshals uh, Department. I was a police officer and a United States Marshal. Uh, He was an expert in rape prevention. He went all over Oregon and taught to elementary schools, high schools, and women's groups about rape prevention. And uh, he spent two one-year stints in the mid-2000s over in Iraq teaching Iraqi police officers how to do police work. He was one of the few that uh, President Bush asked to go over and and do that. And uh, we think that's probably where he got the pulmonary disease. But um, he was my best friend and... uh, I just wanted you to know a little bit about Leroy, and uh, peace be to his memory. Uh, Sherry and I leave right after the service today. In fact, we won't be able to greet you afterwards. We've got a two o'clock flight, so we'll just zip right out after the message and uh, catch a flight to Portland, drive down to Albany, and then tomorrow morning at 10.30 is the memorial service. If you would uh, keep us in your prayers as we care for the family and just also care for our own hearts. Um, Sherry's known Leroy uh, since uh, she was 19 years old, so... Uh, this is a great loss for her as well. So uh, thank you for just that little time of getting to know my good friend and my brother in Christ, Leroy. Uh, we'll meet him one day in heaven. Let's pray.
Father, as we um, go to your word now, we pray that uh, you would uh, just be very much in this room. I pray that your spirit would uh, empower the word of God and that would move among us and fill us with the truth that we're going to share this morning. Lord, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your love for Leroy and his family. Pray for his wife, Pat, his daughters, Angela and Alicia and Aaron, for the grandchildren. Pray, Father, that they would be comforted and that uh, you would comfort all those who love this wonderful man. So now, Lord, as we uh, open the word, may you open our hearts to hear the truth. And we thank you for the privilege we have. Just like Pastor Ryan led us in the greatness of God in worship, may we experience the greatness of God in his word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen. And why worry about a speck in your, own, in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Last week we talked about a critical spirit. And how the critical spirit is that gigantic beam in our eye that keeps us from really recognizing our own faults and our own failures. And instead, we tend to look or focus on somebody else's speck in their eye, something they need to change, they need to do. And so we looked at a critical spirit last week, and God was very clear as we looked at the different texts that, um, and Jesus himself said, when it comes to gossiping and when it comes to um, telling stories and when it comes to uh, judging other people, he said, stop it. Stop it now, stop it always, stop it forever. Just stop it. And uh, there's other ways to do that. There's other ways to come along somebody, to love them, to encourage them to go the right way. But in terms of judging and condemnation, stop, stop, stop. There's no place for that in the Christian's life. So, which is sad to me because so much of the reputation of Christianity is around condemnation and criticism, right? The world sees the church often as those of us pointing, saying, you're bad, you're wrong, you're doing everything wrong. And the Bible's very clear that we're not supposed to judge the world outside the church. You know, they're not Christ followers. Why should they go by our standards, right? They shouldn't. So we're not supposed to judge them. We're supposed to love them and love them and bring grace to them until, until they ask us why. And then we testify to the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, that log in our eye that we're going to to look at is uh, a rampant problem in our world today called rudeness. Rudeness. And so I've entitled this sermon, Rudeness on the Rampage. So picture this. It's ni August 1974. Uh, Sherry and I have packed up our 1972 Volvo station wagon, pulling behind it a 4x8 U-Haul trailer with all of our worldly possessions, and it wasn't full, and 80 bucks in our pocket. And we pull into Chicago on a warm summer afternoon in August in Chicago with horns blaring and pollution everywhere. Uh, by the way, different sections of the Dan Ryan Freeway in Chicago are the busiest sections of freeway in the world, okay? So that's what we came into even in 1974 honking horns, uh, all kinds of sign language that we didn't fully want our 11-month-old baby to see in the back seat, all kinds of yelling and screaming. And I remember driving in there and Sherry quietly just starting to cry, thinking, is this our new home? I mean, are you kidding me? And so we were on our way to North Park Theological Seminary. We arrived there. Some other students helped us unpack our stuff and put it in our little apartment. We took the U-Haul trailer back to turn it in, and then we had to go to the grocery store because this is our brand new life. And I remember being in the grocery store. What was the name of that grocery store? 
Jewel, okay, that was a, a store in Chicago in the 70s, I think it still is, but, so we're in a Jewel store, and Sherry, she's going through the, she, she's aghast at the price of the stuff, we found out later that they actually taxed groceries, which we didn't experience in California, and as we're going through there, she's kind of crying and saying, is this my new life, is this what's going to happen, they didn't have tortillas, in Chicago in 1974. Come on! Who doesn't have tortillas? So it was just crazy. And so uh, she's kind of crying. I'm standing next to her. And this woman comes up behind her and just bumps her with her cart. And Sherry turns around. She's still got tears in her eyes. And the woman goes, you know, like, get out of the way. Now, I will say this. Um, if this were today, this would have had a different outcome. Uh, if it was today, Jesus would have, or, or Sherry would have turned around and led her to Jesus. But in this time, all she could do is cry. And she pulled over, the woman went around her, and all around us we felt rudeness. What is it about our society that we feel like we have to be so inconsiderate of other people? Now, I'm not talking about little rudenesses. Little rudenesses we all know. I mean, somebody accidentally, uh, you know, pulls over into our lane and they quick move back. I mean, they're not trying to do anything wrong. Those little things, the, the phones in a movie theater, you know, that's a, my personal peeve. And, and somebody picking their nose, all of these, these just minor little rudenesses, no big deal. But the big rudenesses, the big things that we all hate to see in our lives and the lives of somebody else, the things that are totally inconsiderate, totally belligerent, tell you where you can spend eternity type of rudeness. These things we don't want any part of. And Jesus speaks to this, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. So we arrive in Arizona. Uh, we, after Chicago, we served a church in San Diego, Denver, and then Minneapolis, St. Paul for 10 years. And then we're back in the West in Arizona. And I, as I remember growing up in the 50s and the 60s in San Diego, it was a pretty nice place to be, be around. But in Arizona, in 2000, something looked very different. I went to the DMV. Okay, that was my first mistake. New license. In the parking lot, two guys are fighting over a parking place. Okay, they're out actually fighting. And so as a loving, compassionate pastor, I took that parking place because... <laughs> You know, their cars were just like, right in, so I went in on site. So, you know, I do what you have to do. And, I go there, and you could smell the rudeness and the inconsideration and the angst and the anger and everybody's yelling and screaming and it's just awful and rudeness is on the rampage. We hate it. So what are we going to do about it? Well, let me tell you a few statistics from Barna. Barna says, uh, doing a survey about rudeness, 79% of Americans say that a there's a lack of respect, there's rudeness, and it's a serious problem in the United States. 79% of Americans say that. 61% say that it's far more problematic than it was a generation ago. 60% say that reckless and rude drivers are a serious problem in our society. 81% say that they encounter rude or inconsiderate people every single day. And 41% admitted to being rude or inconsiderate themselves. A couple of years ago, Jessica Reeves uh, writes that for Time Magazine, <clears throat> excuse me, she wrote, uh, this this, she wrote this paragraph. Why should we be polite? Who's going to make us? It's one thing to do pleasant and even friend, to be pleasant and even friendly with people we know and care about, by the way, parentheses, think Facebook. But what about people that don't deserve anything more than a quick kick in the pants? It's not as if the rest of the world is set on being pleasant. 
take France, and then she says parenthetically, please, uh, take France, please. Uh, they're rude, they embrace it, they cherish it. It's part of their national identity. So why not learn from our foreign friends and make our own special brand of rudeness? Okay, that's what's one article written in Time Magazine. I've got a better idea. Let's look at the Bible and see if the Bible has anything to say about this thing that we see all around us, rudeness on the rampage. And believe me, the Bible has a lot to say about it. So let me share that with you for the next few moments. And the first thing I'd like to share is uh, this thought. And in your bulletins, you can follow along. You can fill in the blanks if you would like. Follow along with the scripture readings. The first thought is this. Rudeness is just simply unrighteous. Okay, it's just wrong. Now, the standing duty of every Christian is the golden rule. Now, some of you might say, oh, I didn't know the golden rule was from the Bible. Well, where do you think the world got it? Of course it's from the Bible. The golden rule, it's seen in every gospel. Luke 6.31 says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Okay, that's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Um, this has been called the law of love, the law of mutuality. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I think I can best illustrate this biblical principle in this way. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever asked someone to be rude to you? Okay, anybody? I don't think you have, okay? Uh, how many of you have ever asked somebody, please cut me off on the freeway? How many of you have said that to somebody? You rolled your window. Would you please kind of come over into my... I don't think you've ever done that. How many of you have said, uh, please uh, stop, you know, please tell me to be on my cell phone in public and talking out loud, right? Uh, how many people hate that? Uh, please, please asking you, please pick your nose in public. I don't think any of us have ever asked somebody to do that for us. We don't do that. And if we don't want them to do it to us... <laughs> We certainly don't want to do it to them. The rule of mutuality, the golden rule, rudeness, if we all did what people, we didn't want people to do to us, we would literally make rudeness extinct. Rudeness is unrighteous. Now, let me give you some examples. God was not rude. Okay, let me give you one passage of scripture from Jer Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Now, listen to this as I read this passage. Think of rudeness, Okay. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. Okay, if you're going to boast, boast in this one thing, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who what? Demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, this is the God of the universe that is speaking these words to you and to me. To the, in the days of Jeremiah, all ages, this is a prescriptive text in the Bible. This is for everyone at all times. He says, listen, there's one thing I want you to do, one thing that you boast in and nothing else, that you know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates what unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And God says, and I delight in these things. Now, if he delights in those things, he doesn't ever delight in rudeness or inconsideration or putting somebody else down or any number of things. God says, listen, this is who I am, and this is what I want you to be. So he draws a picture of what kindness looks like 
in that text. When you recognize that he delights in those who acknowledge the graciousness of God, in those who pass on the love and mercy of God to other people, when we know that, we know that we are in God's will. Romans 2.4 says it this way, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Okay, I memorized that in the old King James Version that said, the goodness of God or the kindness of God draws men to repentance. Don't you realize that it's the goodness of God that makes people turn away from their evil deeds and turn over towards God? It's not shaming them. It's not pointing your finger at them. It's not acknowledging all the things that they have done wrong. But with kindness, God pressures these people into this relationship and this opportunity to know Jesus Christ. So God is not rude. But here's another thing. Jesus was never rude. Now, when I say that, you're going to think, well, what about the times he called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers and he said, you scorpions and you vipers. Well, remember, remember his rule? He said, I'm going to treat you exactly the way that you treat others. So he was treating the Pharisees exactly the way they wanted to be treated because that's the way they treated everybody else. That. But Jesus was the one who always brought kindness and grace, grace into situations. So here's a couple of examples. So Jesus, as at a party, invited there by Pharisees. No other disciples were invited. They wanted to get Jesus, kind of cut him out of the crowd, you know, and uh, move him so they could kind of have Adam. So all these Pharisees, these religious leaders, invited Jesus to their home. And so he comes in. Uh, they, they totally diss him. They totally disregard him and disrespect him by, by not greeting him, by washing his feet, or by embracing him or kissing him, all the things they were supposed to do according to Hebrew law. They didn't do any of those things. Basically, they're saying, you're on our turf now. We're going to treat you however we want to. They go out into a courtyard. They start having a meal. And then a prostitute wanders, in, wanders into the courtyard. And she comes over. And I'm sure all of these religious lords are going, Who's this woman? Where'd she come from? How'd she get in here? As she walks in, she plops down by Jesus, takes out oil, alabaster oil, pours it on his feet, and starts washing his feet with her hair. And everybody's going, how rude of you. How inconsiderate of you to come into our wonderful grand place of eating and interrupt us. And they're all just so outraged. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, you know what? This woman is closer to me than any of you. Her heart is closer to me than any of you. And they were aghast at her teaching. How can she be? Because Jesus, he, when he saw rudeness in consideration, he looked beyond it. He looked behind it. What's going on with this woman? What's causing her to do? Well, here's what's causing her to do. She, she needed to be in front of Jesus. She needed to be with Jesus. And she would do anything, I mean anything, to get in his presence. Jesus said, I'm never going to be rude to people that you think are rude. I am the one who brings grace. How about on the cross? All these people were spitting Jesus and hitting him and lashing him and the cat of nine tails and his body was tortured and his flesh was torn away. He was up on this cross with nails in his hands and his feet. He was literally dying and they were mocking, they were gambling, they were throwing things at him, they were laughing at him, the, the religious rulers, the Roman soldiers. And you know what Jesus said in that context? He should have said, you guys are all going to get your comeuppance. You're all going to hell. Could have said that. Do you know what he said? Father, forgive them for they don't have no idea what they're doing. Instead of returning rudeness with rudeness, he returned in consideration and rudeness with grace and with love. That's what Jesus has called us to. That's the way he lived his life. Jesus was never rude, but he was gracious and loving. 
So Napoleon, okay, so there's one good French guy, right? Okay, so Napoleon, uh, early part of the 19th century, said this. This is a great quote. Alexander the Great, Napoleon's quoting this, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But Jesus alone founded his empire on love. And to this very day, millions would die for him. Isn't that a great quote? I mean, yeah, some good things, French fries and Napoleon come out of France. Okay, so we like that. Everything Jesus did came out of a fierce love for people. Not for situations, not for circumstances, but always a fierce love for people, even his enemies. The way Jesus responded to his enemies was, was, was with grace and love and patience and kindness and understanding. And Jesus says, and I want you to do the same thing. So, here's what Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this 13.5, you guys can memorize this verse, okay? Say, I'm too old to memorize. No, you're not. Here's uh, 1 Corinthians 13.5. Love is not rude. Okay, say it with me. Love is not rude. Okay, now say it like you actually mean it. Love is not rude. Okay, somebody in first service said that um, uh, last Sunday when we talked about a critical spirit, she said five minutes after she left the church, she was driving down the road, road and she saw some kids on the side of the road. She started, what are those kids? Look at the way those, and then she caught herself sore. Uh-oh, I'm not supposed to do that. So, yeah, I hope you do that today. If you leave here and you're rude to somebody, I hope you remember what I'm saying now, okay? Shame on you. We shouldn't do that, okay? So, when we are love, love is not rude. When we are rude, we are unloving. We are self-absorbed. We are inconsiderate. Now, we can be rude or we can be righteous, but we can't be both. Now, the word for rude in the Greek language um, is it's really kind of a fun word. It means shapeless. It means an attitude or activity that is out of shape. Shapeless, inelegant, inappropriate. Okay, that's what rude means. So when we are kind and gracious and sensitive, we reflect the image of God. The Bible says that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of God. We're supposed to have the heart of Jesus. So we are supposed to conform. He, he created us in his image. We're supposed to conform to his image. So when we are conforming to the image of God, we are showing love and consideration even to our enemies. Love and consideration and grace to, to everyone around us. And when we do that, we are shaped, we are formed like Jesus. Now, when we don't do that, when we are not shaped or formed like Jesus, and that's what the word rude means, shapeless, inelegant, when we are shaped like Quasimodo, you know, uh, when we are misshapen, you know, he and his body, us and our souls, when we are misshapen, we become like Quasimodo Christians, you know, and our attitude is, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, I love Jesus, I go to church, and then you walk out of here and you cut somebody off and you flip them off, okay? That is inelegant, that is shapeless, and here's the good news and the bad news for all of us. You represent Jesus in how you're shaped. You represent God in the shape that you take. When somebody sees you in a shapeless, inelegant, quasimodo form, they look at you, and guess what? They judge God that same way. That guy's a Christian, and look what he just did. That girl's a Christian, and look at the way she treats other people. I, I can't believe it. That must be what God's like. God says, you are created in my image, and when you have the shapeless form, you are misshaping God. We are misshaping God in our lives when we have this inelegance, this rudeness, this critical spirit. That's what the text is telling us. 
Rudeness disfigures Jesus in the eyes of other people. I mean, you know what? Sometimes when we act rude, we, we're a PR problem for God. <laughs> Every one of us, we're a PR problem for God. Okay, we're supposed to be the messengers of God's love, and when we give this other kind of shapeless, formless, inelegant message, these people, you know, God said, now how am I going to overcome that? I can't even overcome what my believers are doing. How can I overcome that? Love is not rude. I'll, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to be is a Quasimodo Christian. So, rudeness is unrighteous, but here's the second point. Rudeness is also unredemptive. Rudeness is unredemptive. I know that sounds kind of a weird word, but I like using alliteration, so that's what it is. Rudeness is unredemptive. It means that rudeness never improves the situation. Ever. You know, somebody's rude to you, you're rude back to them. Rudeness never improves the situation. So how many of you have recently, or maybe in the last five, six years, have gone to a professional or a college football game? Okay? Okay, quite a few of you, okay, including me. I, I, when I was growing up, I loved going to the Charger games with my dad. Uh, by the way, the tickets were $6.50 apiece in 1967. Anyway, that's beside the point. So we go to a game... And um, you know what's happened in the last 10, 15 years at football games, right? Uh, it, we've become more like soccer fans, right? <laughs> crazy, rowdy. These young men get all liquored up and they're crazy and they're th throwing out F-bombs and they're just talking evil and terrible and everything like that. And you, you can't even enjoy the game. I mean, there's rudeness. You can feel it. You can sense it. It's all around you. I used to, when I used to go to games, I used to have kind of a strategy, especially when I take my wife or my kids. I'd have a strategy. And when I got there, I would talk to all the people around me. Over here, behind me, over here. You know, hey, my name's Dwayne. What's your name? Here's my family. This is Nathan, Tammy, Tyler. It's my wife, Sherry. And just say, where are you from? What do you guys do? You know, get to know them so that when they get all liquored up later, they'll listen to me. Because now I have at least a relationship with them somewhat, right? So, so they'll say, hey, come on, my kids are here. Don't talk. And almost always that worked when I returned their rudeness when I turned, returned it with kindness. But you've got to build a relationship first. How many times have you gone and got so angry, so upset, and, and you start arguing with somebody and that and then and then, and it's all this mess. Rudeness is unredemptive. Become someone who's rude to you when you give it back to them. It does nothing that enhances anything. It incites, it never settles. It literally sucks the humanness out of our souls. So here's what author Ed Hayes said. Our lives are fed by kind words and gracious behavior. Now listen to that phrase again. Our lives are fed by kind words and gracious behavior. We are nourished by expressions like excuse me and please in such simple courtesies. Rudeness, he says, is the absence of the sacrament of consideration. I love that phrase. Rudeness, he says, is the absence of the sacrament of consideration. It is but another mark that our time is money and our society is lacking spirituality, if not also its enjoyment of life. Rudeness is the absence of the sacrament of consideration. If we want to look like Jesus in our world, if we want to be a light shining the gospel of Jesus in our world, at our workplace, at our school, wherever we're at, we have to be shaped like Jesus. Not shaped like Quasimodo. Not all misshapen and angry and upset and I'm going to get back at you and all of that. But we need to respond to rudeness with love and consideration. That's the way 
that Jesus did it. So I'm going to give you a million-dollar idea. Okay, I gave this to first service, so you might already be too late. So here's the million-dollar idea. You could take it for free because I'm not going to do it, but I think it would work. So you're on the road, and there's road rage going on. Maybe you accidentally started to come over in somebody's lane and swirled back, and you're sorry and everything. But some guy pulls up next to you, and he's waving gestures at you and screaming and shaking his fist and everything. Here's my million-dollar idea. Have three or four placards in your car, little pieces of cardboard with big printing, and on it it says, I'm sorry, or my bad, or pull over and I'll buy you a Coke, something like that. And don't make eye contact with them. Just put one of the placards in the window. <laughs> I'm sorry, my bad, you know. Because you know, we've got to somehow figure out how to return rudeness. We, and instead of giving rudeness, rudeness back, we need to give it consideration and love. That's the way that Jesus lived his life. So here's, here's another wonderful part of this text. Well, let me first of all read you uh, the text that uh, Ryan is later going to read as the benediction to our service. This is an amazing text, and it's from Colossians chapter 3, and it's verses 12 to 14. And if ever there was a verse about mutuality and the golden rule without actually being the golden rule, it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. This is the word of God. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Now, no, just visualize as I'm reading this. Clothe yourselves. Okay, wrap a cloak around you. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Okay, somebody pulled over in your lane by accident. They moved back really quick. They weren't paying attention. Maybe they're on their cell phone. Make room for other people's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Okay, that just crossed the line from preaching to meddling. I realize that, but this is God's word, not Dwayne's word, so pay attention. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Isn't that beautiful? Two things about this text. One is, Jesus said the motivation for you to be loving and considerate and forgiving to other people is me. Jesus said, you want to shape, be shaped like me, formed like me? You don't want to be Quasimodo. You want to be shaped like me? This is the way I do it. And who do I do that to? Who do I show consideration and love and grace to? Who do I forgive their sins all the time? And the answer is you. All the time, every day. You sin against God. You hurt his heart. You misunderstand him. All of these things. Every day you do those things to God. And every day Jesus says to you, I forgive you. I love you. I grace you. My blood has covered all of your sins. I want you to love other people the way I have loved and forgiven you. That's the law of mutuality. So if you want to know how to treat other people, especially your enemies, if you want to know how to treat people who have hurt you, especially those who have done evil against you, you look at the life of Jesus, be shaped like Jesus, and you show them love and mercy and not rudeness. Now there's another thing about this verse that's really neat. The word clothe uh, comes from the Greek word enduo, E-N-D-U-O, and it means literally envelop or envelope. Okay, so you put a letter in an envelope, you seal it, and you mail it. And you are fairly sure that the United States Postal Service will get that letter somewhere else without opening it up and looking at it, right? So you have enveloped it, you have closed that, whatever, that check or that document or whatever, you're keeping it safe with that envelope. 
The same word is used, but we're to clothe ourselves. It's not a matter of just putting a cloak on. It's literally covering us completely with the grace of God. It's literally enveloping ourselves completely in the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God. And when we do that, that's the way we come to other people. That's when we are not shapeless. We're not misshapen like Quasimodo, but we have the shape of God. We have the light of God. We have the words of God and grace and that we share those with other people, even our enemies. So there's a professor at Yale who recently said this. This is beautiful. He said, always be kind to everyone. Be kind to your A and B students because they'll come back and be good professors. Also be kind to your C students because they'll come back and build multi-million dollar laboratories. Always be kind. Everybody, doesn't matter what grade they are, what rate they are, whether they're nice to you or not, be kind to everyone. So about, oh, maybe three or four months ago, uh, I was in Oakland for two days, uh, Friday, Saturday. It was for our, our denominational, our conference, the Pacific Southwest Conference of our denomination. I'm on the executive board, and every three months we have a meeting, and it's usually all day Friday and half of Saturday, and then I travel back to Arizona uh, for Sunday services. So that was the plan several weeks ago. And I got to the airport, and I was, on, I was scheduled for a, like a 4 o'clock flight, or maybe it was a 6 o'clock flight. It was an early evening flight. And I got there and I heard the news that the flight was canceled. Now there was two other flights, a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock. Last two flights out of Oakland to Phoenix that night. And so I'm thinking, man, I, I don't want to have to call Brandon and say, okay, Brandon, pull something out of your barrel. You're preaching tomorrow. You know, I didn't want to do that to him. Uh, I would have, uh, but I didn't want to. Uh, and so, so here I am at the airport, and in front of me is this guy, and he is ranting and raving and yelling and screaming and cursing. And he's saying, I have a golf tournament tomorrow I'm supposed to be in, and I've planned this for a long time, and you guys are just, you're just doing all this wrong, and he's yelling and screaming and cursing and everything, and he's just going off, and finally the woman said, I'll try to find, I'm sorry, well, sir, we have nothing, the 9 o'clock flight is full, but we do have a few seats on the 11 o'clock flight, I'll get you on that flight, and he finally calmed down and he got his ticket and stormed away and I stepped up to the counter I was right behind him and I said I said man on behalf of all passengers I am sorry for that idiot I mean that is just awful I am so sorry you didn't deserve that I mean he was so unkind so rude I, I just really apologize for all she said you know what we see it once in a while and then as she was talking she threw out the word blessed a couple of times now for those of you who don't know when you hear somebody throw out the word blessed uh, you're pro that's code for I'm a Christian, please ask me. Okay, I'm a Christian, please ask me. Okay, that's one of those code words. And so I did. I said, so are you, you keep talking about blessing. Uh, are you a Christ follower? Yes, I am. I'm a I said, well, so am I. And I normally don't do this, but I threw this out there. He said, I'm a pastor, and um, I've got to preach tomorrow, and I sure would be appreciative if you could find me a seat on that 11 o'clock fight. I would be so thankful if you could do that. She said, well, just a minute. And then she, you know, I have no idea what they're doing when they do that, but they're doing something. And all of a sudden she comes, she said, you know what I just found? <laughs> you know what's coming. I found a f one first-class seat on the 9 o'clock flight. <laughs> I didn't see it before, but I see it now. And... She said, here you go. She did this again. She gave me this. And I said, thank you. Bless you. Bless you. And, and I was back in uh, town and was able to come here and be with you on Sunday. Now that guy, 
I don't know what was going on in his life. You know, I don't know. But all I know is this. That response is never successful. It never gets you anywhere. It never makes the situation better. It just doesn't do any good. It's rudeness on the rampage, and it just ends in unhappiness for everybody. But kindness, especially to your enemies, especially to those who do not um, maybe deserve your kindness, those are the ones that you are enveloped with the grace of God, and you are not shapeless, but you are shaped like Jesus, and you bring the love of Jesus to them, that's when the world changed. That's when individuals start turning. That's when people start saying, you know what, I don't know much about you, but there's something about you I want to know. There's a shape about you that I'm interested in. What is it? And that's when you get to say, it's because of the good news of Jesus Christ in my life. We are called not to be quasi-moto Christians, we are called to be formed and shaped to the image of God. We are called to be those who follow Christ with their whole heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please?